Welcome to Musicians vs. the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, Christine Smith. Well, it is football season, and today we are talking with one of the top composers in the sports music business, Alexander Hitchens. Music is a huge part of the athletic experience for both the athletes and the spectators. And so today we are going to explore what goes into creating the music that we hear every weekend. Distinctively known for his versatility, Alexander Hitchens has seamlessly found success in various genres and platforms, including music on Lecrae's Grammy award-winning hip-hop album Gravity and Andy Mineo's GMA-winning album Neverland. He has also performed music for an Emmy award-winning commercial with the LA Dodgers. Classically trained on the violin, he's carved out one huge presence in the TV, film, and radio world with his endless work providing music for the NBA, ESPN, Nike, the NFL, Discovery, 2K, short films, documentaries, and countless other productions. His most recent accomplishments include providing the theme music for NBC and Peacock's Big Ten broadcasts. So Alexander Hitchens, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Musicians vs. the World. Thank you for having me, Christine. Excited to join you all today. Well, I'm excited to have you and to chat with you today. I was listening to some of your music, which I love. I think it's fantastic oh, thank music. You. Thank you. And I was what I was really impressed with is that you seem just as comfortable with hip hop and producing as you do with orchestral and classical music. Yeah. Do you just love variety or do you feel like those genres complement each other well? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. Um, you yeah. know, I was a kid. I grew up playing the violin, so I was four years old. Saw it on Sesame Street. Mom got me a violin, so I grew up classically trained. But then, you know, I'm a kid that grew up in the east side of Cleveland, so I loved hip-hop, loved listening to that. And I remember the moment that I heard the two of them combine. I heard Dr. Dre's Forgot About Dre. And there were violins oh. in the beginning of the song, and then there's a drum, drum beat that comes in. I'm just like, oh, this works. My two worlds are colliding. <laughs> And so for me, that just kind of sparked a curiosity into how can I make these two loves, you know, work together. And so, yeah, I think they, I think hip hop and, you know, classical music and orchestral music are, they complement each other well because both, you know, strings never go out of style, you know, right. brass never goes out of style, but hip hop evolves. And so it's like this, these things that kind of rotate around each other. One's going on a slower axis, the other's going on a faster axis. And I love experimenting and trying to make them work together. Yeah. What sort of things have you have you done to put them together? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's been it's been really fun. I've been fortunate to do a lot of stuff in the sports world. Um, uh-huh. And I find that those two complement each other really well in that space, because you have sports like the NBA or the NFL or college football that have spanned decades, you know, some right. of them even centuries. Um, and so you have these elements in like a violin that's also spanned decades and spanned centuries implemented into this music, but then also the hip hop provides a contemporary touch to it that is relevant to right now. So like, what does it look like to create music for today's athlete like LeBron James or Michael Jordan or the college athlete that is, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old who is listening to hip hop, but still have, you know, those classic, you know, timeless elements in it that allows it to live and reach different generations that watch these sports. And so... So, yeah, just being able to do stuff for the NFL, for the NBA, for college football, um, and to be able to, like I said, use both of those things that I love so dearly and, and kind of mesh them together. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Well, music and sports, we've had we've had so many conversations about this. They work together so well. And just it seems like musicians and athletes, they have so much in common. And when you can put the two of them together, it's just they really help each other out a lot. Like how how did you get involved in writing music for sports? I just I think that's such a fantastic dream job for so many people. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 amazing. I've, I've been super fortunate to have incredible relationships with people who trust me with their projects. I love storytelling and I think sports are stories. You know, you think of whether it's the the story of the actual mashup that's going on in the game or the story of the players that are involved in the game. And so I've found myself fortunate to be able to get involved early on. I was able to tell stories for LeBron James. I was able to tell stories for Kobe Bryant about their shoes and, and what did their shoes mean to each other, uh, I mean to them. Um, and then also when I get into working with the NBA, I'm able to create um, soundtracks for mixtapes, which tells the story of a season for a player. So the NBA said, hey, we're going to put together a highlight tape of LeBron James for his birthday. And I'll create the music as a backdrop for that, where they're then using a bunch of different clips from various seasons. Um, and for me, it's like, yeah, let's tell this cool story of these athletes um, and how, you know, how I'm able to implement, you know, violin and and drums and hip hop and modern contemporary. It's again, it's like creating these textures and these rhythms, but also a certain, you know, I talk about there's a certain kind of pace that it has to have and a certain energy and being able to create those peaks and valleys, which I think is really important in sports because it is peaks and valleys, you know, and then you, yeah. you know, I, I love golf. I love baseball. I love basketball. All of them have different tempos and different moments of energy and, and, you know, moments where the energy dips. And so I think the music is really important to reflect that as I work on that stuff. That's true. That's true. Going back a little bit, if we could, you wrote music for Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, and there were some stories about their shoes. There are some stories about their lives. How do you encapsulate music about someone's feelings about their shoes or, you know, and Kobe Bryant and LeBron James have completely different stories. Like, how did you go about encapsulating these stories and writing music to fit these huge personalities? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it's, you know, a lot about music is collaboration. And so for right. me, collaborating with the producers or the writers of these particular pieces. And so for LeBron, was one of my, really my first opportunity to dip my toe into the sports world production. Oh music what world. a first project! <laughs> I know, right? The, 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 it's funny. So I'm, I'm in. I'm still living. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally. Now I live in LA. Been in LA for about eight years. But before I moved to LA, I had an opportunity to work on this LeBron project. And so, just a little background: I get a call from two filmmaker friends who know me as a producer and guy who you know does some orchestration. And he's like, "Hey, man, we we are shooting LeBron for Nike." Saturday, and we think you would be a great compliment to the project with your music. Um, now, this is a call I get on Thursday. Now, the, the shoot is on Saturday. They said, hey, we're editing on site, so we actually need the music ahead of the shoot. So I'm flying blind at this point. I'm like, oh, no. But they're like, hey, it needs to sound like, I think of Gatorade commercials or Nike commercials, like big, epic, but still contemporary and modern. And so Thursday, writer's block. Friday, complete writer's block. It wasn't until late Friday night, early Saturday morning that the light bulb came on. I knocked out three ideas. I sent it over to them and I didn't hear from them. So I know they're to shoot. They didn't tell me if they liked it. They hated it. I'm just like, oh, at least give me some definitive <laughs> answer whether or not I'm going to have an opportunity to work with LeBron, the LeBron James. Um, I get a call Sunday night to say, hey, they love the music. Nike loves the music. It's going live on Monday. And oh the music goodness. went live on Monday. And that was my first really my first introduction to this world of uh, sports and orchestration and hip hop 
And it was unique with that because, again, I didn't have visuals to work off of. I was working off of just kind of who do I know LeBron to be? You know, a guy who is a historian of the game. You know, a guy who loves contemporary expression of his basketball abilities, but also has, you know, he loves Bill Russell. He loves Michael Jordan, these guys that he looks up to, but also is now interpreting his own style into the game. And so I tried to create something that, again, tied both kind of a classical element, pianos and strings into a modern sound with pads and drums. And they loved it. I did something right. They used it. Um, and the same, same kind of story with Kobe, where it's like, hey, how do you draw these two elements of this guy's 20-year career arc, but also right. create something that is relevant to 2017 right now uh, when I wrote that. And so, so yeah, it's, it's really kind of sitting with the stories and using your imagination and pulling stuff out of thin air and hoping it works. I can just imagine the pressure that you must have been under to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think part because part of it, I, you know, for me, music is a means to the end, which is relationships. And so I have this relationship with these guys. And I'm like, I really want to come through for these guys. They trust me with this. And so there's a little pressure that comes with that. It's like, I want to deliver something. Uh, but then also add the pressure. And it's the fact it's one of the greatest basketball players to ever walk the planet. And it's an Nike right. basketball. It's the, the you know, brand when you think of sports you think of nike as far as right. shoes and stuff so so there was a little pressure on that um and so for me navigating <laughs> for me navigating the writer's block or the anxiety that comes with that um was just a matter of and i had a friend i talked to in that little window of time between thursday and saturday it's like just be yourself there's a reason they reached out to you don't try to be somebody else don't try to imitate you know this composer or this producer there's a reason they called you do what you do well and that was really, really valuable for me to to hear that and just to kind of, again, let my hair down and write freely. Well, yeah. And with that short amount of time, it was all on you. So did you record everything? You're, like, do you play the piano as well? Or I know you play the violin, yeah. but do you play yeah, other yeah. instruments? Yeah, so I grew up playing the violin. Yeah. Um, right. So I'm classically trained. So I kind of know how to navigate strings. Um, I okay. played in orchestras as a kid. So I kind of know what the cello is doing. I know what the viola is doing. I know what the bass is doing. And so when I write my music, I write in sections and just so okay. the sections can complement each other. I've taught myself the keys over the past, you know, 15 years so I can navigate everything, especially in it. You know, when you work, we talk about working digitally with, you know, DAWs like Ableton or Logic. It's important to be able to kind of find your way around the keyboard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was for me, it was like, let's just lay this framework down. And I'm a big believer in quality is a byproduct of quantity. And so, you know, people always wrestle quantity versus quality. I think I think quantity breeds quality. And so I write a bunch of different ideas. I'll spend 15, 20 minutes sketching different ideas and I'll move on to the next one. And then what I'll do is I'll go through those 10 ideas and say, hey, what three of these 10 do I really like that I can really develop? It's about working smarter, not harder. And so, mm -hmm. so yeah, so I, I sketch probably 10 or 15 ideas and I really only love like four or five of them. And of those four or five, I really zeroed in on three. And those are the ones that I sent over for the LeBron project. And yeah. they ended up liking them. They used uh, two of them. So it was uh, wow. <laughs> the process, the process proved uh, fruitful. 
Okay, so that is not the only amazing story from your career. (laughs) Because tell me how you got the the job with the Big Ten with NBC. Like, this is an incredible story. Can you tell that to me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so again, it's for me, I would say stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Um, So it's six in the morning in October. I'm traveling to Jackson Hole with my wife. We're at Burbank Airport here in L.A. And I'm a big golfer, so I know probably more golf than the average fan of sports, whatever. But but I recognize this guy sitting at the gate with us. And I'm like, that looks like Max Homa. It's the number seven golfer in the world. And he's just sitting there at six in the morning. So I didn't want to bother him or whatever. So I do the half selfie. So I take my phone out and I'm like <laughs> half half my face and him in the back was slumped over with his hand on his cheek, like trying not to fall asleep. And I tweet at him, you know, just kind of like it's a distant hello. I was like, good morning to Max. Good morning. Too early to say good morning to Max Homa was the tweet. Um, and he retweets it. And this tweet end is, ends up getting going like kind of viral. And so it gets a bunch of retweets and likes and everything. And I get on the plane. I shake his hand. I wish him good luck. Um, and then, you know, a couple months later, I'm in Tokyo with my wife on our honeymoon. And I get an email from NBC. And it's like, hey, would you like to do a call with us? We have a job opportunity. So I get back to L.A. I jump on the Zoom. And the guy's like, hey, I'm a big golfer. Um, you're probably wondering how I found out about you. Well, I saw your tweet to Max Homa that he retweeted. I'm like, what? what? Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. He's like, I go to your Twitter page and I go to your website. And I'm like, oh, he's a composer. And so I just go start scrolling through your catalog, scrolling through your music. And I realize this guy has the sounds, the bag that we're looking for to create this music for this new deal we just acquired with the Big Ten. And so NBC basically hired me because of a tweet to a pro golfer at six in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so like I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I need to tweet at Max Holman and say, I think I owe you ten percent for that gig. So <laughs> you probably do. I know. He's a he's a good sport. He was very kind. It was early in the morning, but but yeah, it's you know, I, and I think for me, it, there were so many lessons in that because a have a website because you never know who's looking. Don't be afraid to just shoot your shot. Just be out there and interact with people. Again, it's it's relationships, it's interactions, and so. All of those things created this butterfly effect for me to get just an amazing opportunity that I've been able to work on. Oh, my goodness. So, so many things had to be in place beforehand, before that tweet, for yeah, that if I, if I get a, If I take a later flight, I don't see him. And who knows what happens, you know? Right. Um, if he doesn't retweet it. he's and Think about Max Homa. He's, he is such a good guy when it comes to social media. He's always interacting with his fans. And so... So yeah, I think I'm I'm one of the the lucky ones that he interacted with and it kind of uh, snowballed into an amazing opportunity with NBC. Yeah. Well, so then what happens after that? So you have this phone call. You're on your honeymoon. Um, did they at least let you finish your honeymoon before they? Yeah. I t- well, I told them. I was like, hey, I'll I'll talk to you when I get back to LA. So <laughs> so okay. I get back to LA. We get back from Japan. Um, and yeah, I jumped on a call and with Mark Levy and Trip Dixon, just two amazing guys who were just couldn't be kinder, um, really kind of talked glowingly about what they heard from, from my production library, uh, just an ability to do drumline music, but also orchestral kind of big mm-hmm. band music. And they said, Hey, it's like, what we want to do is create something that is contemporary, but also gives a nod to the prestige and the, the history of college football. And so we would like for you to bring that contemporary sound, the drums, the trap drums, the modern hip hop with the marching band, with the big sounds, with the horns, but even like a little bit of trailer element to it. You know, you think about mm-hmm. cinematic because we're, <laughs> they get referencing Marvel as a buzzword. It's like, we're making heroes. Like we're, this is college football. We're sending kids to the pros. We're making heroes. 
And so for me, you know, I'm taking all these buzzwords and as a composer, producer, and any any composer, producer could probably speak to this is you have to be not only a creative, but you kind of have to be a, a psychic and a therapist and a counselor and be able to read through all these, <laughs> these phrases. And uh, for me, it was able to kind of take all this information and disseminate it and then figure out what that sound is like for them. And so yeah. what did you come up with? Yeah. So what we did, I had to write four motifs for them. So they were like, hey, okay. let's give us four ideas. Um, and then for up the, of those four, we'll pick one that we like. So again, going back to kind of my process where it's like, I'm going to write as many ideas as I can. So I write like 15 different ideas and I'm walking around with my phone, singing melodies, trying to come up with stuff. Like what sounds good? Because I'm a kid. I grew up watching college football. You know, I grew up watching the NFL and I know what those yeah. sound. When you hear da 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 da, you're like, that's NFL oh, yeah. Sunday football. You know what that is. So I'm like, how do I create something that where people hear it, they know, oh, that's college football on NBC. And so of those four ideas, they picked one that they liked. We produced it out. Um, and then we get probably about 80% there. And they're like, hey, how about we pivot back to this other idea? And so I was like, oh. And it's funny because the one that they picked was probably my third favorite idea. We pivot back to my my original favorite. And I was like, yes, okay. this, is, this is good. <laughs> And so, yeah, but that's part of the process. You know, I'll tell any young producers, like, look, man, you got to be flexible. You got to hold loosely to it because you never know how the team or the editors are going to kind of like change your ideas. It's different voices that come in and say, hey, we need a little more of this, we need a little more of that. And so you have to be flexible. And so for me, being able to go back and then kind of get that original idea to the finish line uh, to where they really liked it. They all loved it. I loved it. Everyone was happy. Um, and then we create a bunch of different variations of it for the broadcast. So we have the main mm -hmm. one that comes on. But then you have halftime, you have touchdowns, you have, you know, intermissions, you have injuries. And so, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was so much fun working on it. It was it's like, you know, being able to, again, do a bunch of different styles in one hip hop. I get to do marching band. You know, I played college. I played college football. I played high school football. So, like, I understand just the, the feeling that you get when you hear the marching band, the drum cadences and the horns. And yeah. And then also just, like I said, being able to put in those trailer elements. So I get big hits and big drums and big sounds. And so it sounds like, it's funny, I sent it to my brother-in-law. He's like, yeah, this sounds like Avengers. Like like an Avengers <laughs> field of the college football team. That's what this kind of sounds like. And so uh, I couldn't be thankful, more thankful for NBC kind of giving me just the creative freedom to do it. Um, yeah. Again, saying like, hey, we hired you to do this. Don't try to be John Williams. Don't try to be John Tesh. Be you. Um, and mm -hmm. then trusting that and running with that. And the byproduct uh, speaks for itself. Yeah. So now you weren't trying to do like an Avengers knockoff. You were doing your own thing. Yeah. Like something no, heroic. For sure. Yeah. Because, yeah, again, it's, it's I think there is value in originality and, right. you know, something that's distinct. But I will say we all pull from inspiration. Right. And right. So I think any any composer, producer that isn't inspired, they're you know, you're not breathing. You're not alive. We're all pulling from something. And so for Correct, me, yeah. I had so, so much fun kind of leaning into like what John would, because these are the same guys that hired John Williams to do the NFL. So even that was like imposter syndrome for me. Oh, wow. Like, right, what have they done well that works, but still make it mine, you know? And right. so I'm listening to John Williams' inspiration. I'm listening to Pinar Topjack inspiration. She's the one that did Cap Captain Marvel. And so just mm -hmm. beautiful horns that she wrote. Um, brass and so I'm I'm pulling all these different styles and inspirations but then I, how do I make it uniquely me and so that yeah. involved you know just uh the drums the the hip-hop drums the experimentation with different layers of sounds and stuff and there's there's so many technical things that that were involved yeah. in kind of making it uniquely mine but um but yeah it's uh it's make it big you know because when it comes on when the broadcast comes on you want to feel it right away out of the gate just like oh get up on your feet it's college football time so 
Yeah. Well, and then I love what you said. That, so you played football. So this is like really oh, part yeah, right of you. Alley. <laughs> so you sure. knew exactly what was going to work and you knew exactly what was going to would get you hyped up. But then also as a fan and as a musician. For sure. Yeah. Because I think about like as someone who played football, but also watches it, I understand the energy and the pace mm-hmm. that it demands, with, whether it's from the broadcast or from the end game. Like it's a it's a fast game. There's peaks and valleys. There's yeah. moments. There's hits. Um, yeah. And so I'm like, how do I create something that moves all the time, whether it's every four to seven seconds, there's a new sound coming in or a drop or a drum roll. Um, and what is something that if I was still playing football would make me want to run through a brick wall? <laughs> right. You know? And so so that was all part of the process. You know, it's like for me, I, I I read classical music, sheet music, but everything that I create is pretty much from from just feel. And so mm. for me, it's important to, to like, hey, what do I feel? What 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 is this? What is emotion am I trying to create? And so, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was really an integral part of my process in Grady. As I listen to what you're saying, and I love the elements that you're saying with the drama and with the the storytelling and the peaks and the valleys and how that really is part of your of your soul. Really, I mean, you've got this whole conglomeration of the sports <laughs> and the athlete, classical music, the hip hop music. It's all all great. But where did this drum line come from? Where did you learn how to write for drum line? That's a completely different animal than everything we've just talked about. It is. It is. And also, I've been really fortunate to work over the past few years with Universal Production Music, and they've given me a lot of opportunities to do library music that is synced out to ESPN, to NFL Network, to just various networks, Lifetime, E. Um, and so one of the albums that I did for their library was a drumline album, specifically with college football in mind, college basketball in mind. And so for me growing up, like I said, having played sports, I think was super helpful because I remember in the fall when we're practicing and we're hearing the drum cadences go. And as a musician, my ears are always listening to those things. Even when I'm supposed to be paying attention to what kind of play we're running, I'm listening like, wow, that's a a cool fill right there. That's a very cool drum fill. (laughs) And so it's always just been kind of a part of my DNA, Um, even though, like I said, I played the violin. So I was in orchestras, but I, I loved Every kind of, if you listen to my Spotify, it's everything. It's just a, a bunch of everything. Right. And so, so for me, it's like, all right, here's this opportunity to do college football, which involves you think of college football, you think of the marching bands. You know, of I course. grew up in Ohio, so like I love Ohio State. It's the best damn band in the land. That's what they call it. And so, um, <laughs> so being able to kind of recreate some of that energy was something that I was super excited to do. But also, I'll, I'll tell you this: another huge inspiration for this project was Beyonce's Homecoming. Um, mm. So I don't know if anyone, you know, if you guys have seen it on Netflix, um, it's when she performed at Coachella and she had kind of the HBCU black marching band and she combined that with the hip hop and the R&B production that was on her album. So here she is doing like these interpretations of these songs with this marching band, this drumline sound. I was like, that's that's what I want to do for this project because it's, it's contemporary, it's modern, but it's still gives a nod to the decades that marching bands have been around, you know? And so that was yeah. a, another huge point of inspiration for me. I was like, yeah, let's create something like that. And I think NBC was really excited with the idea of like creating that hybrid. Well, I would think so. When you think about the audience that watches college football, they're wanting to bring them back to their college football days of like mm-hmm. when they either played or watched. And that marching band is such a huge experience about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, like you said, you have, you have alumni people who have been following these schools 20, 30, 40 years after they graduated, you know, cheering for their Buckeyes, cheering for their Wolverines, cheering for their, you know, Crimson Tide. And so, 
So for me, it was very important to still have those elements that still can resonate with a viewer that may be 20, 30 years older than me to be able to like, oh, this is, this is, this is familiar. This feels good while still mm-hmm. having some elements that also reach and acknowledge the modern college football player that's 18, 19, 20 years old who's probably listening to hip hop before the game, getting hyped up, you know, and they're playing hip hop in the stadium. And so it's like, again, like working to, to bake those things in together is something that, that I was really excited about. I also take a lot of pride in being able to do that because it's not easy. Um, and it takes a lot of trial and error and experiment. And it's like, all right, that doesn't really work together. Let's try this. Um, but I think we, we found we found that perfect balance. We found it. Yeah. And so you had different tracks and different cues for different parts of the broadcast. Is that how you did it? You didn't do one long. like Yeah. No. So what we did, we create the main motif, which is the main sound. Right. Um, yeah. And then what we do is we take that and then we kind of interpret it in different ways through six or seven different cues. So as I'm delivering a package to NBC and I've done this with different, you know, other companies and, you know, other composers can speak to this. It's like, you want to have, you deliver a package that involves 30 second queue, a minute long queue. And then you have the main queue that's maybe two minutes long. Um, and those cues, they have to move. Um, because again, you're talking about how do I pack enough movement into a 30 second queue that gets you from maybe the action into a commercial, you know? And so, so I've created four different versions of the main theme for that purpose that are shorter cues. I created a, we call it a billboard cue, which is something that's more of like, you know, if they're coming back from halftime and it's maybe more extended sound. Um, mm-hmm. I created one of the cues. It was very different than all the rest of them. So it's it was a kind of a halftime cue. So I slowed down the original theme and it's more of a trap drum. And we like to call it one of the word we called it at throughout our process was this is the Creed version. And so I don't know if you've seen the movie Creed. It's kind of like the trap but still orchestral version and much but it leans a little more into the hip-hop side and so that was fun for me and they i think they love that out of all the cues i think they love that one the most i I hear it every single weekend you know whether it's michigan state or northwestern or you know michigan and purdue they're playing that creed theme just because i think it again it's a little more a little more contemporary but it still has that you know those horns and stuff that that are classic well and then these broadcasts are live so everything has to be just ready and they just put it in and you kind of just as it goes. I, th- I think that's kind of really exciting. It is. Yeah. And that involves a lot of work on the front end. Right. So before we got to the yeah. season, maybe two or three weeks out, we're fine tuning those little things. And they're NBC's doing the test runs of like test edits. I say, hey, this is what it's going to be like when it comes out of commercial or it goes into halftime. This has got to drop right here. And, and there was a lot of pushing and pulling in a good way. Like they'll call me and say, hey, this is 36 seconds. Can we really get it out to about 45 seconds? Because, you know, we don't want to have that dead space and a dead air, you know? So for me as a composer, being able to weave in those edit points, you know, and those drops and those different markers that they can use, because again, I'm not going to be on site every single weekend editing the music to it. They got to be able to use no. this for every different scenario or you know, if something happens, it's a little bit longer. Do they have the flexibility for that? And so my job is to provide that for them. Yeah. And then is this same music going to be used for basketball or did you compose something different for basketball? They, yeah, that's going to be for basketball as well. So this is like when you think of the Big Ten, uh, yeah. this is going to be the theme music for that. So rolling wow. in through college football season into basketball season. And I think there's some beauty to that. I think there's some beauty to having that cohesion. So when you hear mm-hmm. it, you know, not only are you thinking of NBC or Peacock, but you're really thinking about the Big Ten um, mm-hmm. across 
both sports. And so, so yeah, it's, it's an incredible privilege. I'm, I'm so thankful that they trusted me to create this. Again, it's part of storytelling, which I love to do. I love, love telling stories. That's why I love working with all different editors and directors and producers. Just like, let me tell your story and let me figure out what this sounds like. And so being able to do that for NBC, for multi-sports is uh, really special. Yeah, that's incredible. And congratulations on all of this that you've Thank been you. doing. It's amazing. And all your preparation has really worked out so that when you see somebody in an airport, like you're ready to go and you can yeah. do it and you can do the job. Like, really, congratulations on all of that. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's, it's, uh, my mom said I was very observant as a baby. And I think that's spilled over into my adult life. Where I'm always observing, I'm always looking. Um, but I, you know, I try to just be in different spaces. I would tell young producers, like, hey, just, do different things, you know, play golf. Yeah. You know, for me, it's like just growing up, being exposed to golf and watching golf is, gives me the eyes to be able to see, oh, this is the number seven player in the world. And it's funny yeah. when we got, because we both fly to Burbank, we, our layover was in Salt Lake City. He gets off. And so we're walking through the airport together. I'm with my wife. Nobody bothered this guy. I don't think anybody knew who he was, um, <laughs> which is, I guess, one of the joys of being a professional golfer. You can actually fly commercial and, and not be harassed. <laughs> you know? okay. but, it, but, you know, I, but I knew who he was. And, and just yeah. by knowing who he was kind of changed my career, you know, for the better, you know. Yeah. And we can hear your music every Saturday. It's so cool. Yeah. Is, is that <laughs> so amazing? Cool. It is. It is for sure. <laughs> Wouldn't that feel like the first time you heard your themes being played in the Big Ten? Oh, yeah. It was it was incredible. So the first game was in Michigan. Week one was in Michigan. And they played at noon Michigan time, which was like 9 a.m. L.A. time. So I'm up at 830 and I've got the TV on and I've got it queued <laughs> up and I'm shaking my wife. Like, it's about to come on. Pay attention. Uh, but it was it was very sweet. It was cathartic, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those things where any composer can speak to this. When you're creating, there is just the paralyzing fear can creep on you. Like, is this good enough? Am I am I even worthy of this space? Um, I probably thought I was going to get fired like four or five times throughout the process, even though they're like, this is great. We trust you. I'm like, I don't know if I'm good enough. Like, I, don't. I feel like, just, again, <laughs> these like these people hired Carrie Underwood and John Williams and right. these big names and I'm just this kid from Cleveland and but to hear it to see it live was like okay yeah you belong this is good um enjoy it soak it up it kind of made all the the late nights and the the difficult the writer's block all those different things that are part of just you know creating it made it really worth it right. and you're like all right this is the fruit on the other side of it so yeah it was it was very sweet to see it Oh, congratulations. Thank this you. is such a fun story. Like Thank watching you. football is going to be so much more fun for me now. <laughs> yeah. it's music. Music I love is, it. It's an important part of it. You take the music out of it. You're like, oh, there's new energy. So, like, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be great. And I love what you said about being observant. I think that the reason you're able to put all of these different elements together, all these different genres together is because you're observant, because you hear and you recognize those little things, those little the little elements that can work with something that maybe a non-observant person wouldn't mm -hmm. notice and they wouldn't think to put them together. But because you are observant, you can put them together. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think, you know, life is life is layers, you know, whether it's music, whether it's just raising a kid, whether it's, you know, working a job, teaching, there's always layers to life. There's a thing and then there's something below it that's driving that thing. And so right. for me, I incorporate that into my music. It's like, all right, if we're going to have these different layers, how do they complement each other? How do they promote each other? Um, and but there's also in the details, you know. And I and I really, really strive to pay attention to the little thing, even the things that the average listener won't hear. 
It's it's like the glue to the track. You pull it out. It's like, you know, the important piece of a nut or a bolt in a, you know, structure. You pull it out, you know, you don't, you may not see the the missing bolt, but you'll see the structure fall. And so for me, mm-hmm. paying attention to those details is uh, something that I learned at a young age playing violin. I had a teacher, Mr. Schneider. So I had probably five different classical teachers as a kid playing the violin. I only remember the name of one of them. Uh, sorry to the others, but Mr. Schneider was uh, a former World War II veteran and he played in the Cleveland Orchestra. So the Cleveland Orchestra is a pretty prestigious orchestra. Oh, so, yes. But he was my private teacher and I remember as a kid being so afraid of Mr. Snader. <laughs> he was so militant. My dad would drop me off at the lessons and I would look at my dad like, don't leave me here with Mr. Snader. And I'm crying. <laughs> and, but you know what? I think there's a reason I remember him. Not, And it's not because of the trauma, but it's because he was a teacher that taught me that it doesn't matter. He always said, it doesn't matter what's in front of you. We have to do the little things. I'm worried about, are, is your is your wrist out? Is your pinky out? Is your elbow in? You know, all of these, like, it doesn't matter when music's in front of you if you don't do the little things right. And so that has stuck with me throughout my entire career. Where it doesn't matter what I'm trying to write, whether it's the Big Ten, whether it's the NBA, whether it's the NFL. If I don't pay attention to the details and really make sure those things are dialed in, then none of the big stuff matters. And the big stuff won't even really come together. And so, so yeah, like kind of going back to your original point, it's like, yeah, it's this the little details, the little layers um, for me observing those things and making sure those things are really sticking when I write is, is very important for me. Mm-hmm. And it shows and it comes through in your music for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alexander, this has been so fun to chat with you. You've given so many pearls of wisdom already, but um, if you have one more piece of advice for aspiring musicians, what would it be? I would say for advice to young producers, young composers, writers, um, everything's about relationships. Music for me, and I said this earlier, it's it's a means to the end, which is really, really good relationships. Um, you know, a song will come and go, a project will come, it'll be, you know, made buzz for a year or two years if you're lucky. Uh, but th- for me, the relationships that I've built in the process are the ones that will buzz for 10 years and 20 years. And those things create more work because now you're building friendships, you're building relationships with people who can trust you and you can trust them. You know, I would say as a producer, you know, if I'm going to be in a room with somebody for six or seven hours creating something, I hope we like each other. And so I've been really, really uh, intentional about cultivating really good spaces and safe spaces for people to be vulnerable because I think vulnerability creates good art. You know, if you're worried about being tight or impressing someone or, you know, tiptoeing around whether an idea is going to be good or bad, you're never really going to run the faucet to get to the really freshwater ideas. And so, um, so yeah, just treat people well, you know, invest in people, create space. The music is a byproduct of that. And so for me, you know, moving to L.A. was super scary eight years ago. Um, and I didn't have any work for the first two or three years. But I control what I can control. And that was the relationships that I built and the friendships that I had and just inviting people over to hang and create ideas. And then from there, I can testify that those things open doors for me. Those relationships open doors that have uh, changed my life. So, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank Thank you you for that advice. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, Alexander Hitchens, you are incredible. So thank thank you you so much for being here. And I just have so enjoyed chatting with you. Likewise, Christine, thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me uh, share my story. And I'm excited for what you all are doing uh, for, for musicians, for creators, producers. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for joining us today on the Musicians vs. the World podcast in our conversation with composer Alexander Hitchens. You can hear his music every weekend during the Big Ten football and Big Ten basketball games on NBC. You can find out more about Alexander and hear more of his music on his website, alexanderhitchens.com. And I'll have a link to this in our show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. Musicians versus the world is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. In today's episode, you've heard excerpts from Written in the Stars, as heard in LeBron 13 launch experience, and Shaking the Globe, as heard in the Rock Under Armour Black Adam promotion, both by Alexander Hitchens and shared here with permission. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. You can also find a video version of this interview on our Musicians vs. the World YouTube channel. If you have any questions for us, topics you'd like to hear about, or any helpful advice for other musicians that you'd like to share, be sure to reach out on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.